the long run, passivity won't pay off. It never pays off. If you want a life of meaning and transcendence, you're going to have to move. Aggression doesn't have to be toxic or damaging. Healthy aggression risks. It builds new things. It breaks through barriers. It's the key to living a life that matters. I'm Brian Tome, and this is The Aggressive Life. Welcome to The Aggressive Life. When I say the word teacher, who comes to mind? We all have an answer for some of us. It's the teacher who made the classroom come to life and encouraged us to new heights. For others like me, we think of a teacher who did the opposite, who absolutely bored us out of our gourd is a major source of pain for us. Mrs. Derby, my fourth grade teacher, you jacked up my life. She honestly and truly did. Uh, that was the year that I struggled with long division. That was the year I had a teacher that was very difficult to be with. That was the year I learned after the year that that teacher had a history of having it out for certain types of young boys in the class. And I fit the profile and she had it out for me. It wasn't a good experience. And I suffered education. I probably didn't, I didn't recover from that educationally, no lie, until I was in seminary at the age of 28 or something like that, a bad attitude towards education. Well, today we've got a teacher who I wish I had you. I wish we had our guest today instead of Mrs. Derby. David Jameson, or Mr. Jameson to you. He's on a mission to change education, starting in Memphis and beyond. He's known as the dope educator. Not because he tells us about dope, but because he's shaking what, up what it means to be a teacher, and his students are responding. In December, there was a video of David that went viral. He, he took the time to create and memorize 75 different handshakes, one for each student in his class throughout the entire day. And the students approach the door. They do their handshake before entering the room. He made his students and makes them feel safe, known, and heard. And it's part of his recipe for success. He's featured in Access Hollywood, Good Morning America. He's got a host of podcasts and magazines under his belt. He uses platform to speak on the importance of men, people of color, and the role of education. He's a good man, and he's with you on The Aggressive Life. Welcome, David Jameson. <laughs> Thank you so much for that great introduction. <laughs> <laughs> the dope educator. People come to you to be educated on dope, or, or they understand what that means? Oh, well, dope is actually an acronym. It stands for Determined Outstanding People of Excellence. Um, so uh, when I speak of the dope educator, I'm not only talking about me. I'm actually talking about all the educators from across the world, challenging them to be dope. I love it. That's awesome. So let's let's go back to the thing that was that went viral. Some of our listeners uh, are, are pausing the podcast and they're going to search for it right now on YouTube. Others of us have gone. Oh, yeah, I I remember seeing something about that. Yeah. Just tell us the story. 75 different handshakes you memorized and did. So give us the story behind why you did that and how difficult that was to do. Uh, well, since I was a kid, I've always had an obs obsession with handshakes. Uh, me and my best friend of 20 plus years, uh, we always had a secret handshake. 
So when I got into education, um, I wanted to create something that would allow us to reach beyond the script, to reach the, the child's heart. I feel oftentimes uh, we are trying to put out what's on the lesson plan without necessarily inviting kids in, creating an, an atmosphere of, of love, creating an atmosphere of belonging, making each child feel loved and appreciated, while simultaneously uh, making them feel excited about wanting to come to school, knowing that they have a teacher that actually cares and love them. And so these 75 handshakes, though, are you one of these photographic handshake memory guys? Or did you have to, how much time do you have to spend memorizing them and learning them? What, what was that like for you? Honestly, I was blessed with the great memory. Uh, so that played a huge part. But it's almost like the more you do something, the more it stick to you. So uh, I tried to make sure that me and the students had a, a, a count when it con- came to uh, the, the handshake. So I tried to keep it at a simple one, two, three cl- uh, clap, one, two, three to help me to kind of remember uh, each handshake. So that helped me out a lot because you had so many kids that would constantly add to the actual handshake. So this moment only lasts a couple seconds, Mm -hmm. yet you believe this is important for that class or that child. Why is that? What takes place inside of a child's mind? Oh, well, see, children, they come from uh, adverse childhood experiences, and, and some kids, they uh, deal with things that are beyond their control. They're dealing with so much at home, you know, so it's very important to first uh, realize that social, emotional learning is so important. And and I feel once we understand that, uh, we will be able to reach each child. The, I said this before, that the most important thing that you can find on any lesson plan is love and human interaction. So when the child actually knows, knows that you care for them, uh, once the child actually knows that you love them, they, they would basically want to come to class and be more open and receptive to learning. What grade do you teach, David? I teach fifth grade. It's, it's interesting. Tell me if I'm, un, if I'm odd or if this is normal. I could name you my teachers grade one through fifth instantaneously, uh, sixth. I can't remember the name. When I get to sixth, seventh, eighth, even though it's closer to now, I don't remember their names as well as, as my teachers in, when I was younger. Why is that? Uh, well, I think because... And is that normal? Do you think, think that's normal? I think it's normal because I was the exact same way. Well, I am the exact same way. Uh, I think that many teachers don't necessarily realize their role in education. And you want to be that, that teacher that each child would remember for the rest of their lives. I think it's very important to understand as teachers that you want the child to one day remember, hey, I had a Mr. Jameson, I had a um, Mr. Wilson. When the child can recall you, you know that you've done something uh, right. And when that child cannot necessarily recall that experience, we know that we still have very much work to do. Uh, I remember, I already, I already vented a little bit on Mrs. Derby. <laughs> fourth grade, Shout I out to on her a little bit. <laughs> uh, just not a good experience, not a good woman. But if I, then I think I've thought about her the most, and the other one I think about most is second grade Mrs. Bash. She had this. Mrs. Bash had this thing where, when we would go to lunch, she would stand at the door, and whichever kid lined up first in line, 
at the door would get a hug from Mrs. Bash. Wow. Now, wow. today you might not be able to do that. Maybe you right. brought up on sex charges or something like that. Right. We just freaked out about touching each other. Yeah. Probably appropriately so. But, yeah. but man, I, 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 I was in the back of the class, or actually the front of the class, and the door was in the back of the class. So I never made it. But, man, I wanted to every single time, every single time. There's just something about that bond with a teacher that's, I might say, even sacred. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely uh, agree. And, and uh, I, I think that it's important to understand that a lot of kids don't get that love at home. So many kids, they, they come to school and they come to school wanting to feel something that they lack at, at home. So I think that that's also another reason why it's so important to make sure that kids are felt appreciated at home. So when they come to school, that they, they can possibly be their best selves. So most of them, they deal with so much lack. So when did you say, I'm going to be a teacher? Well, honestly, I never said I, <laughs> that I <laughs> I was going to be a teacher. Honestly, uh, it blew my mind when I became a teacher. I never, I feel that teaching for me was more of a calling. Um, I feel that um, it was nothing that I necessarily wanted to do. Uh, I have a bachelor's degree in, in English. Um, so I was simply serving tables at another uh, broken egg restaurant in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, my background is in acting and commercial print modeling. So I was basically serving tables uh, part time when I bumped into a principal. Uh, the principal was actually from my hometown. Uh, and he asked me a critical question. And, I, and I'm guessing he kind of felt sorry for me. He was like, man, you serving tables? Um, you know, you go from from doing this, being on TV and acting to now serving tables. Do you still have a passion for for kids? Uh, because we need more men in the school system. He asked me that critical question. And by him asking me that question, I said, yes, I was just, you know, ready to uh, get into something different. You know, not knowing that I would walk into uh, my calling. So he asked me that question that led into a job offer. And I started teaching in less than a month. You've thrown that word around a couple of times now. Your calling. Mm -hmm. What do you mean when you say it's my calling? When I say my calling, I'm saying that there, that, that is what I was put on earth to do. Uh, I think it's a it's a difference between your gift and your calling. You know, I, I can be gifted in many different things, but that's not necessarily that may not necessarily be the thing that God has put me on earth to, to do. Uh, but when I feel that I'm leaving a major impact in a person's life, that lets me know that it's more of a calling to me. That's pretty interesting, then, uh, because as you just told me your story, mm -hmm. your your calling came somewhat late in life. Yes, right. I mean, that's. I think that's really encouraged for us on the aggressive life. Uh, I, I would agree with you on this. I mm -hmm. this is my personal experience. Things I thought were a calling when I was fifteen was really just taking the next step to get to the next place that God wanted me to go which was the next place God wanted me to do. I would say right now I'm operating in a calling. Yet, yet if you would show me what I'm doing right now, you know, 30 years ago, I'd said, what? Yes. That, that is, that, that, that's not it at all. Yeah. Which I think ties into being aggressive because aggression is always about doing the next thing that you need to do instead of passively going, no, this is what I thought my calling was 30 years ago. I see so many people that are just placating themselves and justifying their current decisions instead of stepping into a, an actual calling that God has for him. So I think there's hopefully some conviction there for us. Yes. And also some encouragement. Yes. Maybe your best days might be ahead. Yes, yes. I, I definitely uh, think that this has opened so many doors for me 
that I had no idea. Uh, I'm actually I'm talking to you right now. So that's that's an a door that God has opened for me just because I was obedient. Uh, and the Bible lets us know that obedience is better than sacrifice. And I feel that when we really operate in obedience, God will open up the windows of heaven and pour us our blessings that we won't have room enough to receive. Come on now, you're preaching. You're preaching. <laughs> David Jameson is preaching. Here's the weird thing, David. I'll just process with you. We never, when we bring somebody on the Aggressive Life podcast, I never ahead of time say, hey, where is this person in their faith? Yeah. <laughs> hey, what does this person believe about God? I just bring people on who I think are aggressive. That's awesome. And time and time and time again, they end up driving the faith conversation they end up bringing it up, and uh, yeah. faith is not. I believe stupid things that science says isn't true. Right. That that's that's not really what faith is. Faith is God's given me a picture of what the future is, or what my next step is, and I have to take that step without any assurance that it's going to work out, or without any assurance that I've got scientific data from a lab that backs up that this is going to be a hundred percent foolproof, you know, uh, that's aggression. Yes. I mean, it's aggressive when you do that. I mean, if, if, if you didn't have that lack of faith, it wouldn't be called aggression. It would be called, oh, the next reasonable thing I should do. That's true. That's very true. So you've got a, you've got a huge, a huge belief here that um, not only calling that you should be an educator, that you're a teacher, but you're also been on a soapbox about that we need more, more men who are in education and especially more men of color, which is what the person pushed you, uh, why they pushed you to get into yes. this new field. Just, just riff on that a little bit. What, what, what's, what do you think is going on in our schools, and why do we have just a preponderance of white women who are teaching? Yeah, I definitely think that the educational system is dominated by women. And I know that from experience, like it's a big difference when you bring a man and put a man into the building. It's almost like um, you're listening to mom versus dad. You know, uh, it's a difference when you hear a man's voice. And I feel that many boys and girls, they are growing up without father figures, uh, boys and girls. So uh, when they come into education and they see a man uh, not necessarily being in the Role as the social constructs would put a place a man in, uh, they would see that hey, it is okay for me to not be an athlete, it's okay for me to not be an entertainer. I could be an, an educator and I can be an asset in many people's lives. So, I think that as men in education, we we serve a huge role. Um, and I feel that black men, no, wait a minute, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute, dude, you're telling me. That we actually need men. Is that right? Because I, I, I'm being told all the time that no, we just need women. We need more light. You're actually saying that human entities that have a penis and stereotypical <laughs> masculine tendencies that we're actually needed. What, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> we are needed. We are needed in education. I feel that women have, have, have been doing such an amazing job, but I know that it's time for men to step up to the plate and be the change that we want to see. Just like we can see in a household, how when the man leaves the household, how quickly things can shift for a child. It's the same thing in education. We need both men and women in education for balance. When I speak on behalf of black men, uh, research shows that 
a black child or a student who has had at least one black male educator will go on to do great things in life. So I feel that it's it's very important to have uh, people in place uh, that emulate your morals and values. It's very important to have um, diverse and inclusiveness in education. And how can we do that without having people that look like us, without having people who emulate our morals and values and bring in simultaneously more diversity and inclusion to reach each and every child? Yeah, I think that's important to, to mention here. We're not saying that women aren't important. Women absolutely are. We're just saying that we li- we're living in a female-dominated dominant culture right yes, now yes, we are. in your industry and my day job industry, which is the church, vast, vast majority of people who go to church mm-hmm. are, are women. Yes. Um, churches tend to educate women really well. We don't reach and educate men. And in your world, the vast, vast majority of people who are in the classroom are women. And, and what, what do you know what the percentage is of female teachers versus male teachers? Uh, I'm not sure about female teachers, but I know um, uh, male teachers, uh, men make up 23% when it comes to education. Black men only make up 2%. Wow. Wow. So if we were in a situation where we had 70% of men were who were teachers and we only had 2% of white females who were teachers, we should be banging that gong. Heather, yes. like, oh, no, no, no. We, we need to have more yes. representation, but but the truth is, men are hurting, men are not hearing from other men, and boys are not being brought up to men because we're not having role models. That's what you're seeing. So true, so true, so true. Uh, that's exactly what I'm saying. Uh, we we definitely need uh, more men in in education, and when we see that happen, I think things will uh, definitely change for the better. Do you find that your students are? Um, clingy to you ever because they're so longing for a male father figure do you do you, do you see that they're yes kind of spending a lot give us a story on that or just something you've noticed oh uh, well i honestly is it's it's weird but i actually have had many um students call me daddy or stepdaddy mm. and wow. um seriously seriously <laughs> i'm getting um I, I'm, I'm honestly about ready to cry right now yeah um man they, you, you're not prompting that. Right. They're, they're the ones who saying yes. that. They just, wow. Yes. And Tell me, so, what, so what do you do when someone, they just start calling you daddy or they ask permission or what's that look like? Just by me just building relationships with kids. Um, I noticed that I could be walking and a, a, a little girl would say, hey, daddy. And it would throw me off guard. But once she kept doing it consistently, I said, okay. You know what? I get it. I understand that I may be the only representation of a father that this child would, would, would ever see. So that challenged me even more to be the change, realizing that they are looking up to me. Wow. And, and when 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 kids say that, are there snickers from their friends or their friends go, I understand what you're saying and that sounds normal to me? What, what, what's, what's the vibe like? Well, I've seen both sides. I've, I've seen kids look, look, you know, um, kind of discombobulated, you know, like, huh? you know, and even teachers and admin uh, would, would pull her to the side or students to the side and say, hey, you can't call him that. That's Mr. Jameson. But she would still keep calling me that, you know, because that's. Mm-hmm what she sees. 
So I had to have a um, conversation, you know, with her. And I tried to tell her, hey, uh, can you do your best to try to call me uh, Mr. Jameson? But I am so glad that you feel this way about me to express yourself as calling me this. Uh, But she would still call me daddy. And I got to a point where I was like, okay, there's nothing I can do about it. And I'm honored. I've had people uh, at the church I lead tell me that I'm their father. Wow. Even though I've never had a personal meeting with them. Mm. And I don't remember their their names between times I see them. But I'm the closest thing they have. I'm I'm a male that they hear from regularly, even though it's in a large setting. I'm a male that they respect. Mm. I'm a male that's been around for years and years and years. And I used to be really uncomfortable and try to talk them down from that. And now I'm, I just don't it. I'm like, hey, man, yeah. I'm not going to be celebrating your birthdays and all that stuff. But if I'm the best you got, I'll take it. I'll be it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> man, I'm, I'm trying to hold, hold myself together right now. <laughs> uh, because the thing is this, um, I grew up in a household. Uh, my mother and father divorced when I was young. So I got a chance to see how I felt to not have a uh, man's presence at home. So just God put put me into education alone. Um, I, I really wanted to be a representation, you know, of a father to students without even having a father my entire life, if that makes sense. Makes total sense. No, not only uh, not only did you want to do it, mm-hmm. David, you are doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are doing it. Yeah, you know, you, yeah. you've been recognized as teacher of the year. How how did that make you feel? Oh, it, it made me feel great. Uh, but it, it also kept kept me humble uh, because I I realized that oftentimes we we get stuck on um, just accomplishing um, just. Uh, goals, and we make those goals uh, our final destination when goals are just checkpoints that's really designed to keep us going. I feel that anytime you accomplish one thing and not have other goals in mind, you are in a very strange place in life. We should always try to strive to be better in every aspect of life and continuously have goals in place. So I was happy to achieve that, but it also pushed me to uh, continue to challenge myself in education. You wrote on social media, quote, there's no such thing as bad kids, only learn behavior. And in my three years of teaching, I've never had discipline problems because I make sure that all my students feel counted for. Talk about that. Yes. Um, in my three years of teaching, um, I've never had discipline problems. And part of the reason or the main reason is because uh, I make sure that each child feels appreciated. If, if you take a look at Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs, uh, the foundation that he puts right there at the bottom is love and belonging. So I feel that uh, in order to meet a child's needs, we must first meet the social emotional needs of kids, love and belonging. And once we meet that need, I feel that we can maximize the fullest potential of each and every child. What about what about the parent? What should the parent do who's got a kid who hates school or got a kid who used to love school 
but now the teacher this year is ruining it. What what should a parent or can a parent do in those kind of situations? Uh, well, if you have a child that hates school, I think it's important to explain to the child why it is important, why school is important, and the benefits of actually going to school. And I think that if the teacher is the problem, well, maybe the parents should come in to, to school and sit down and just, just have a seat and just see what's going on in class, ask for per, per, uh, permission to uh, watch the class, and even have a teacher conference, you know, to uh, discuss some of the action steps that the teachers are taking in class. So we've got to get involved inside the room, not just assume that it's all going to take care of itself. Definitely, definitely. I have definitely seen on many uh, occasions uh, from different teachers where parents will take the size of the kid, uh, not necessarily coming in and taking action steps. Okay, so what can I do to build relationships? I think building relationships is so important. Uh, So I think it's, it's very important for parents to build relationships with teachers where they can actually come in and sit at at the teacher's uh, class. Just just watch a lesson, you know, just listen to a lesson. Well, they're not going to be sitting in the class this fall, that's for right, sure. Right. Our- <laughs> so, what, what's, your, what's your future prediction of what education is going to look like? And I don't mean education is going to look like on September 1st, but what kind of permanent changes do you think might happen as a result of this uh, new crisis we've gone through? Well, it's definitely looking like that uh, virtual is going to be uh, our new normal, at least for right now. But I am confident in knowing that um, I believe that this is going to be the generation that is going to change the world. I'm confident in in knowing that. Uh, So although we have to be uncomfortable for a little while, I think that it's, it's okay to be uncomfortable because we will find growth in our uncomfortableness. Uh, so, David, right there, uh-huh. right, right there is exactly why you are the educator of the year. It's not, you know, the YouTube viral stuff that you've done. It's that you believe the current generation is going to change the world. I mean, we've all had teachers that we're, we know we're phoning it in. Yes, we all teachers. We know that we're just doing what they needed to do to have their paycheck, and then we've had teachers. That we knew they were going to elevate our game. If you, you really believe that, you really believe the kids in your class are going to change the world. Yes, yes, I'm confident in knowing that. I'm confident in knowing that we, we're we're seeing changes that we've never never seen already. You know, we're seeing changes. Um, so I think that it's just the beginning of change. Uh, but change is a process. You know, Rome was not built over overnight, so we can't expect. You know, expect changes to happen instantly. But I think that um, some of the things that are happening right now is a full representation of the way that life is changing, and we have to change with it. That's good. So, if we go off education for a moment right now, uh, COVID 19. Mm-hmm. You were diagnosed with COVID 19 earlier this year. And you beat it. Yes, yes. You were cleared in April. What were your symptoms? What was your thought process? Because our whole country has been shut down. I'm not here to debate whether or not it's been shut down, whether or not the shutdowns or things we've lost are appropriate or not. I just find that most of us know very, very few people who have ever had COVID-19 or died from it. Fortunately, you didn't die from it. Um, what, what was it like? The symptoms, all that kind of stuff. Mm, man, um... For me, it was a very, very tough time. Um, 
but I was blessed because I didn't have to go on a ventilator. Um, I had back pains. I had a headache. Uh, and most importantly, I think the most important thing that really uh, took a toll on me was the mental health aspect of it. I, I think that oftentimes we hear about the different symptoms of it, but we don't hear very, uh, we hear very little about the mental health aspect of COVID-19. Uh, so uh, during that process, I went maybe about two months with only getting about two hours of sleep a night. Just the mental toll, uh, which honestly I felt like that it was more of spiritual warfare going on that I experienced for the very first time. Um, I would actually have dreams about being in hell, which was crazy. Mm -hmm. I, I had a dream that I was in hell. For a whole week during that process, I also had um, dreams about sins uh, that I committed like in the past. Wow. It, it was almost like I was being tormented this whole time. Uh, so I think it, it was more of also spiritual warfare. Um, I got to tell you, you're giving me a little bit of you're giving me a little um, goosebumps here. A.R. Bernard, a very well-known pastor in New York City, who is in New York City Ground Zero, and this all happened. One of the things that he says is that he was praying mm -hmm. that he wouldn't fall asleep because when he did, all he felt was a demonic. Wow. That's what he said. Yeah, me too. You're the second person that I've talked to that's had personal interaction with or is talking this. I'm like, wow, that's really wild. Yes, yes, yes. And it's, it's so wild because um, <clears throat> I had a supernatural experience while I was going through this, right? So all while I'm, I'm praying during this process, I'm panicking. First of all, I thought I had shortness of breath, but I went to the hospital because I thought I was having shortness of breath when they told me my oxygen level was at 98 the entire time. So I was just having a panic attack and I never had a panic attack. So I thought that I was having shortness of breath, but I was actually dealing with anxiety for the first time that I didn't even know that I, that I ever had, right? So I, here I am, uh, I can't sleep at night. Um, I'm having all these crazy dreams, feeling like my health is failing because I'm, I'm, I'm stressing more than, than I'm praying. All while I was praying, God was still so faithful because while I'm praying, I began to pick up the, the Bible. God tells us that, you know, use our Bible. That's, that's our sword, our Bible, right? So I'm reading Ephesians, the second chapter. I'm reading it. I'm reading the second chapter in the eighth verse. And it said, God saved you by his grace when you believe and you cannot take credit for this, right? So the words, you cannot take credit for this, floated off the Bible. Literally, the words floated from the Bible, hit me in the face and hypnotized me and put me to a deep sleep. So when I woke up the next day, I went back and I read Ephesians, the second chapter, the eighth, the eighth verse. Uh, and it said, God saved you by his grace when, when, when you believe and you cannot take credit for this. Salvation is a gift from God that we do not deserve so no one can boast about it. So it was almost like the Holy Spirit right then and there spoke to me, telling me that this was a demonic attack and there is nothing that I can do to separate me from the love of God. And so that was, that was um, a moment where I realized what was going on. David, this is so rich. Uh, we, I just like to have conversation with people in the aggressive life. That's all we do. No agenda. Had no idea I was going to be talking to a believer. Had no idea be talking with someone who's having some interactions with the, with the demonic. And um, you know, the aggressive life. This podcast is one of the places you're going to get information you're not going to get any place else. Everyone else is telling you about the physical issues 
and face masks and quarantining and that's fine. I'm not dismissing that. But very few people are willing to talk about the spiritual ramifications that are happening in our world, willing to talk about the spirit realm that's true and is real and is affecting us right now. Why do you think we're so afraid to recognize the spiritual realm and talk about it? Uh, I feel that many of us, um, we are, I guess, we're trying to uh, play both sides. We're so more focused on being liked instead of being respected. And I feel that when we get to a place like that, we are setting ourselves short. And I feel that we have to stand on what we believe in. Uh, I know it's a lot of sensationalism going on as well. You know, I I, I, I know that um, that this virus is real, but I also know that it's, it's sensationalism as well that's keeping a lot of people bound. Uh, but we know that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of joy and of a sound mind. So we must, although we have to take those necessary those necessary precautions, we still must not operate in fear. We still have to live life at the same time, if that makes sense. Dude, this is uh, this is fantastic. I I think I'm just so inspired. Not when someone becomes a YouTube sensation, though you have. And I'm jealous of it. I want to go viral. Something I do. Uh, I'm inspired not so much, but I mean, you're recognized. You're you're getting awards, recognized across the nation for your 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 actions as an educator. You're at the top of the top, and just just hearing how you're viewing the world through the lens of faith, the lens of a spirit realm, the lens of the Bible. I think it's a it's a really good challenge to all of us who are doing our day job as a financial advisor or as a contractor or a stay-at-home parent, whatever it is. We're, we, we, we've got to walk in that destiny that God has laid out before us. We have to. We have to. We have to. And, 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 and I feel that when, when we don't, uh, we prolong the process. We definitely prolong the process. Brother, I, I, this, can, this is the first aggressive life. I'm not going to end with a lightning round. We always end with a lightning round. I ask the guests, give me this really, really quickly, and they give it to me, and it's it's really just these quick quick shot answers. I, I don't want to end this one that way. I'm going to make the aggressive move. We're going to break because I just want the sort of uh, the spiritual depth you brought us and sort of the uh, left hook that some of us are feeling like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Do you mean this is real? Do you mean, I, we, have a, we have a competent person here who's – saying things that are really outside of the media mainstream. I'd, I'd like to probably just leave us with that. Is that cool with you, David? Yes, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. Well, how about, is there anything else you want to talk about, David? Anything you want to give us final information on? Anything you want us to connect with, get involved with, books you got, podcasts? Now's the time for you to give us some advertisements for yourselves. Okay, well, uh, for anyone that uh, that wants to follow me, you can follow me on all outlets at The Dope Educator. That's at The Dope Educator. That's on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, I do have a book in the works, so I can't, I'm not going to talk about it right now until I actually finish it. So um, I will have a book coming out soon. Uh, so just continue to follow me, uh, and I'm looking forward to, to this journey, and I'm so uh, inspired by you as well, uh, Pastor. Uh, I thank you so much for having me. I know that you are doing a great work in Cincinnati. Uh, you know, I see I see the work that you're doing, and I'm inspired by you. And thank you so much for having me, uh, David. You're too kind.
David Jameson on the aggressive life. Yes, sir. We'll see you next time. Yes, sir. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. For more aggressive living, head over to bryantome.com. Get signed up for the mailing list to get regular shots of positive aggression sent straight to your inbox. And while you're there, you can also find articles, podcasts, and books. I'm also active on Instagram. Search Brian Tome. Special thanks to the band judges for the music. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.